software developer side, you have like HackerRank, Codility. There's not an equivalent tool for cybersecurity hiring. I felt that that consistent pain point at the hiring, the hiring phase um, was something I could zero in on just because like everybody to a T talked about it. To find the best talent, we need to look at what matters. And everybody who spent time in the real world knows that like, you know, what college you graduated from, who you know, even what previous jobs you had are not reliable indicators of talent. Just go to the tape. Let's look at what really matters. The body of information that's an input into your bigger process of decision making, right? Yes. Companies are trying to create a culture and that ultimately is probably the holistic thing at what matters. Are you a company that cares about pedigree? Or are you a company that cares about performance? Your filtering process early on has overrated people and underrated people because you've only looked at resumes, right? Yes. Uh, instead of it doing at this point, we're offering the ability to flip that and do it at the beginning. Parents got us a Commodore 64 when I was right. a kid. Right. Um, now, now let's 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 go into that. I want to yeah. go with this. So the Commodore 64 did it have a keyboard? Yes. Yeah, and, but did, what kind of drive disk drive? Like it had the floppy to start. Like a like a five inch five and a half. Yeah, inch. the big one. The big <laughs> floppy, like the real floppy floppy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. they named the, the the hard floppy floppy, but it wasn't floppy. Yeah. Like, Three and a half. Right. But you're t we're, t we're in a five and a half. Early high school, I did like bulletin boards if uh, folks, yes. you know, that's no, not no, no, like, let's talk about it's this. like pre-internet, I guess. I know, I, you let's, know. Let's talk, wait, wait, let's talk about BBSs. So now, did you actually take your phone? Yeah. And, and it makes it sound like I'm some like cool hacker kid. Not at all. It's like literally, oh, let me visit this bulletin board about like the NBA or, you know, nonsense like that. It's not like I was doing anything. But yeah, it's just cool stuff, you know, back then. So, so uh, like you take you took your phone, yeah, right. You put it on the modem, and it makes that weird noise. Like, yeah, a curious teenager that studies were obviously of extreme importance to you, and that was sort of ex instilled <laughs> externally to you from your parents. Yeah. Um, That's understating it. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, so at the summer after my senior year in high school, I volunteered for the governor's campaign in Michigan for one of the candidates. And so like, that's probably very tough on us with school, but also encouraged us a ton to just do stuff. Uh, my local congressman's uh, reelection campaign really occurred to me. I could like live outside Michigan or, so I'm just like, all right, I'm gonna be an engineer. Between trying to do something quite practical, like be an engineer yep. uh, versus, you know, I guess I had all these interests in social justice and right. politics and all these other things felt like there was more out there to explore. I was like, I'm just gonna like take the LSAT and uh, go to law school. So took out loans uh, to go to law school. Worked at uh, the DOJ Civil Rights Division, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Uh, went to work at the Asian American Legal Defense Fund. Immigrants rights cases, workers rights cases. So five years there and then what happens? So I ended up wanting to like go beyond, I loved being a lawyer, but I just started feeling that um, filing lawsuits was going to be end up limiting. And that led me uh, into my opportunity in the Obama administration in 2013. Did somebody approach you? No, I just was like so excited about Barack Obama, you know, and like so many people and just was like, I want to be involved with that. I want to contribute working on higher education uh, policy, uh, workforce training, that sort of thing. One of the main things I worked on was bringing accountability to for-profit colleges um, that are sort of really preying on 
um, low-income people and people of color uh, with very low quality sort of education, but very high cost and debt. For the last two years of administration, I, I was in the White House as a policy advisor, working on a range of things. Mm. Like the best thing I've ever been a part of. Entrepreneur in residence, fake title kind of things. And I, well, there's a lot, yeah, that's an interesting, it's such an interesting work. It was a chance for me to learn about the things that they were doing um, and to explore ideas of what could I do with that those kinds of technologies. So what, what ideas did you explore and what, what uh, res- conclusions did you come to? Started investing in the cybersecurity space um, just as sort of, you know, the space is growing, um, it's high demand, um, there's opportunities there. Uh, and every like sort of chief security officer interviewed, I mean, they, you know, they were identifying all these sort of problems, finding the people that they need you have to spend a lot of time on it. A lot of money goes into it. It's hard to figure out like who's good and who's not. If you get it wrong, there's a lot of costs. So, like, ci- so cybersecurity. Diversity keeps- is a massive problem. I mean, it's like all dudes that look like me or you, right? Sort of talent <laughs> and thanks, skills. Thanks for the poop push. Yeah. It, it's a New York skill, right? It's a New York skill. It sort of speaks to the idea of like assessment, right? Like I need to know what it is that makes someone great at something, so in this case, a cybersecurity job, right? That the way to find the most talented people is to look at what they can do and how they think rather than just what their resumes say. Exactly. Um, And so we've built a hands-on sort of simulation-based assessment for cybersecurity hiring so that the hiring process at companies can be driven by those things that matter rather than resumes. If you have a a, a technology that can sort of automate that evaluation, um, we can do that at the beginning of the process. Think of like for software jobs, like a coding test, something like that. Not the same thing, but you know, you you apply for a job here, do this, let me see what you're all about. So is it like a 100% real environment? Yeah. One of our core product principles is that it should be as close to real life um, as possible, right? You're asked to, all right, inspect these machines, these computers on this network and see if there's any vulnerabilities. That is exactly the kind of thing you would do uh, in the workplace and you're looking for if there's malware or you know other issues. Um, and so yes, the idea is like, let's give you realistic scenarios and work on it and then we look at what you did, write up an evaluation report for our customer. And the idea is that that is a, a, a body of information that they can use now to make a decision. So you, all these people applied for the job, instead of just looking at your resume, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not sure what the resume tells me, but like this person did this on this kind of exercise, that tells me something. Exactly. You know, because team five has uh, taken, you know, a bunch of stuff off your plate on the hard skills side, you have you can spend less time on that and more time on the other things that matter. Entrepreneur. Oh, I mean, so, you know, with a kind of law, policy, government, that kind of background, I mean, uh, this is, everything is new. Every step is like a whole set of learning and then try stuff, fail, learn more. So learning like a whole new set of things, um, like knowledge, skills, whatever. So that's one. Number two, super humbling. Definitely the hardest thing I've ever like worked on. Um, and again, we're at the beginning, so we haven't figured anything out, right? Um, that's number two. Uh, number three, I think, um, you know, there's this like really real aspect to it because we're right at we're at this like first step of like, all right, pilots, the first time we have to see is someone willing to pay for this. 
Um, and I've like never really had to work on something that real. Yes. Right. M most other jobs, it's like, all right, you get an assignment because I didn't figure it out. You yep. know, so that's I mean, that is like a whole new feeling. Indeed. Um, I will say when people talk about the pain, I sort of now am it's like we are a broke startup trying to get to a different place, you know, so. Um, well, I think that's a great position to be in because you're- Hello, Startup Hunters. Thank you guys so much for listening. This podcast would be nothing without you. And also, this podcast is a startup, so I need all the help that I can get. Would you please leave me a good review in the App Store? This would be huge. That's it. On to the episode. Lean, mean, and hungry. Welcome to Startup Hunter. I am here with Tushar Chef of Go Team 5. And they say that pedigree does not equal performance. So, what does that mean? Think cybersecurity, think young hackers who are misguided, who don't have a job but have all these amazing skills and don't really know a productive way to channel their skills. So you go to Go Team 5, you take their crazy hacker test, and they will evaluate you as a candidate, and the wind is really going bad right now, but it's okay, because I have my fluffy. But they will evaluate you as a candidate and get you placed in a job. Is that more or less correct, yes or no? Uh, yes or no? Not exactly, no. Okay, we are going to, okay, then if it's no, how, how is it not right? So, it, we're, our customer um, are companies who are doing the hiring, Yeah. right? So, if, if, uh, if someone applies for a job um, to a company, um, the company will ask them to uh, uh, work on one of the uh, evaluation sort of hands-on hands evaluation scenarios that we've built. Yeah. Um, and then we evaluate the candidate based on what they can do, uh, trying to get a sense of how they think about uh, the subject matter and then uh, give a report to the employer. And the idea is that that is um, a better that is an important input um, into deciding which candidates should make it further into their process and ultimately get selected, rather than starting with, uh, you know, credentials on paper, a resume. As got, got it, got right. it. So, Mr. Chef. Yep. On this show, before we even get into Go Team Five. Right. I actually am interested in you. Okay. So the first half of the show, we're just gonna do your history of entrepreneurship from birth. <laughs> so- and That part will be short. What I wanna know, I'm gonna dig. I'm a very good uh, information hunter. Where were you born? It's double parter and what did your parents do? Uh-huh, so I was born, uh, uh, my parents lived in Chicago at the time, so I was born in Chicago. Uh, my dad uh, was a mechanical engineer, he's retired now. My mom was a uh, med tech uh, in a lab in ho hospital. Yeah, uh, she's the, on the sunny side. Yeah, she's the person who does, you know, blood tests and all that kind of stuff. So were, were either of your parents entrepreneurial? Uh, not really. Yeah. Um, although, uh, our culture, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Indian and specifically Gujarati and a lot of, you know, I guess culturally, uh, Gujaratis are a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, and my dad, both parents' families, you know, like in India, I think, had business, but no, not particularly. Um, I think my dad 
tried to do little things here and there growing up, but mostly they were working at companies and hospitals, as I said. Got it. So that's your parents. Now, what I want to know um, is what's the first hustle that you can remember doing? And the younger, the better. The first hustle. You could be, you know, in the sandbox, you know, uh, selling uh, rocks you found on the ground. I don't know, something, I'm digging for something. We're selling lemonade, uh, <coughs> selling chocolate bars on the, on the Chicago subway, something. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't ever did any money of that. didn't have to change hands, even. Like something <laughs> where you, okay, and let me t take it from a different angle. Uh-huh. What's something where you were a kid and yeah. you were taking initiative? That, that nobody told you to do, yet you were doing something productive. I loved basketball. I'd be outside in our driveway just shooting baskets all the time. Yeah. Um, studying. I would say, you know, I will say that I was, you know, pretty involved with like computers and yes. all that kind of stuff. Now uh, we're talking. Now, although I wouldn't consider myself like a, like a hacker kid no, no, or no, anything, no, but, but my dad, you know, my parents got us a Commodore 64 when I was right, a kid. Right. Um, now, now let's 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 go into that. I want to yeah. go with this. So the Commodore 64, did it have a keyboard? Yes. Yeah, but did, what kind of drive disk drive? Like it had the floppy to start. Like a like a five inch, five and a half. Yeah, the big one. The big floppy, <laughs> like the real floppy floppy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. they named the, the the hard floppy floppy, but it wasn't floppy. Yeah. Three and a half. Right. But you're t we're t we're in a five and a half. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, um, did what 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 uh. You know, was it DOS on there? I had never had yeah. the Commodore. No, it's uh, no Commodore 64 would not be DOS. Uh, I think it had its own OS. And and was it a graphical interface or no? No, this is like you know at the prompt, command prompt. You're yeah. like doing stuff. So here, so here you are. What like what? Six years old? Seven years old? Maybe a little older than that, but not much, yeah. And what, like, did you do little calculations on it? Yeah, like, you know, 10 go to 20, print, the Detroit Pistons are the best. That's like, so, there you, nonsense see, like that. But this um, is, like, this is what I'm looking for because- I mean, I don't think, like, that's like every kid. No, that, no, if you were lucky enough, uh, like me and your parents got you a computer. So I'm, you know, I will say that that's certainly an indication of, um, uh, you know, having that kind of sort of privilege and resources. But if you did, I think, you know, I did the basic stuff. You know, I remember like uh, we my, we got the computer, I think at Christ, one Christmas. And then I think we hooked up like a little TV to yeah. it as the screen. Yeah. And then not knowing anything at time, you know, you could just like push like shift or control and get different characters. So at first I thought that's what programming, you're just like writing all this nonsense on right. the screen. Then you sort of like, all right, basic, I guess, uh, you know, the 10 prints this or whatever. Right. I mean, goats, so you're already starting yeah. to learn some of the fun. No, see, you're, you're like taking it for granted. Not every kid that has a computer learns programming. So I think that's really I will say like, I didn't like go deep into it really. I didn't go deep. I guess when I got junior high, early high school, I did like bulletin boards if, uh, folks, yeah, you know, that's no, not no, like, no, let's talk about it's this. like pre-internet, I guess. I, I you know, let's, let's talk, wait, wait, let's talk about BBSs. So now did you actually take your phone yeah. and, and like you, you put your phone onto a modem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, so let, like, let's talk about this. Cause a lot of people who are watching this show don't even, uh, we're not old enough. They don't know what this was. So let's like go into the history of the internet here. Yeah. I mean, I should caveat all this. Like it makes it sound like I'm some like cool hacker kid. Not at all. It's like literally 
oh, let me visit this bulletin board about like the NBA or, you know, nonsense like that. It's not like I was doing anything, but yeah, it's just cool stuff, you know, back then. So, so uh, like you take, you took your phone, yeah, right? You put it on the modem and it makes that weird noise. Burr, like, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I have, I don't even know how I found out about it or how you even figure out what to call. Right. I have no recollection of how. Uh, or who showed, someone showed your me. Your dad didn't tell you. It must have been some like family friend kid who was older yeah. and was like, dude, this is cool. Then you can like go look up like crazy stuff. Like, you know, how to like put a nitrous injection thing on your car to make it go like super fast. Yeah. Like who knows if any of that stuff was real, but like, you know, there's like just nonsense stuff like that, that when you're like a kid it's cool you know but, the, so, but people don't understand that back then the internet didn't exist yeah i mean this was kind of like some precursor i guess yeah and 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 before the internet you know existed as we know today there weren't even web browsers right netscape didn't exist at this point it it, it was it was no. literally i this mean this is not a totally different like protocol and everything this is not even on the actual internet right this is just someone set up something on their computer at home and i'm literally just dialing into it i think That's yeah right. i mean whether we don't know actually know where the where yeah. it was but it was likely located in somebody's home yeah and there were like you know 300 people dialing into this particular bulletin board what did you by a phone number probably yeah i don't know how i i think maybe once you dial into some then you get these lists and, and a lot of them like, were interest oriented so right. if you're into this one thing then you know, someone's into that and they have a bunch of stuff and... There there are literally books and, you know, pages on Wikipedia about the early history of the internet. And basically, this, <laughs> this central bulletin board server that you were on was sort of like the Yahoo directory of the bulletin board servers. Yeah, I wonder. I don't have any... Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so I, I just think it's fascinating, um, you know, that like little kids or even teenagers, you know, they, and just like you, you followed your curiosity and you, you, you discovered some very interesting information, um, you know, in an era before the, the internet existed. So I think this, this desire, and, and, and to go even further back, you know, this desire for, for, for people to just have information organized, you know, in, in an easy to access way. It existed before the internet. There used to be these things um, called, there was this service in Europe. <laughs> I don't remember the name, but it was literally like a physical internet. And it existed in like the 1800s for very rich people. So like you owned a company here in New York and you needed mm -hmm. some information on, a, uh, on something, you would like put a request into this information, kind of physical internet, ser physical search engine basically. Um, and uh, they would like get back to you in a week with, you know, information. <laughs> it is interesting. I often joke with my buddies from college, I'm like, I mean, how do we ever just like get in touch and hang out and make plans? Like, um, how do we find anything? It's like, even for all of us who were like, you know, uh, old enough to like have like, our childhood was in the pre-internet era. Like yeah. it's it's all blurry now. You know, like my, I remember, could remember my dad looking in the phone book for everything we exactly. ever, any new thing you had to do? Um, phone book, open yeah. up the phone book, blah, blah, blah. But it, I mean, people don't even understand that there was two different <laughs> kinds of phone books. There was yellow pages and white pages. And yellow pages were for commercial and white pages were for residential. And I mean, these are the things I will say that, you know, uh, now that I have kids and I, the, 
memories that all come like floating back, like just, you know, now it's easier to find info, right? But like growing up in the 80s, 80s, 90s kid, right? Like my parents are immigrants from India. They didn't experience all the, all these things that I got to experience as a kid. So when my dad sees me like playing soccer, like literally every day in the backyard, like it's crazy me thinking about he just like on his own was like all right i gotta get tushar into soccer yeah like a, a league or something and then he who knows it's not like they had all these like he probably asked somebody at work yeah um and then came back with like oh there's this thing ayso and it makes you know it's just like makes me so appreciative of like the efforts that they're like all right we didn't grow up in this culture we didn't do any of this stuff my parents both grew up in like you know very middle class families in india which at that time in india meant like you don't have a lot um and it's crazy that they went to such uh efforts to make sure we did like everything yeah. under the sun now it would be a little easier you would just like everyone would go on google like all right soccer michigan whatever and you figure it out so it's in that way it's uh you know really relevant to like what like i remember my parents doing to f just getting information sure. we live in a different world you know yeah we totally live in a different world um but i think also a lot of things are are very much the same so we really <laughs> you know established that you, you know you're a curious teenager that studies were obviously of extreme importance to you and that was sort of ex instilled externally to you from your parents yeah. um, that's understating it yeah yeah I, I, I would, uh, yeah so yeah uh, um, so I'll add one more thing so uh, um, you know so again like you know I was into sports guess that you know to some level into like tech it could be so you know but I think even uh junior high especially high school like you know i definitely had a massive curiosity about just like uh politics the kind of social issues in the world i mean i i don't know that i was like necessarily acting on them very much just because i was like a dumb dude in high school but like you know so at the summer after my senior year in high school i volunteered for the governor's campaign in Michigan for one of the candidates and so like that's probably the other right. thing that I probably um, other than you know the other nonsense that, well, well, but that, that probably definitely is you know I don't know why it took me until I was like 17 to actually go volunteer but like um, you know that was something of like I think I always had like some level of interest I'd be reading stuff my dad got Newsweek and Time and all that so I would read all that and then you know was definitely interested in like kind of like the world and the country and what's going on in it yeah so i mean right there already we're seeing this kind of tendency to take initiative like you didn't do the campaign for the money uh i'm sure there was a, a small just <laughs> all volunteer stuff or, or free yeah um it's, it's so, so clearly you know there's this there's this this fundamental urge to just take initiative um and all of that you know we have to like kind of concede like that's all a result of you know my parents giving us so much opportunity that like i didn't have to like get a job the summer before my went to college i could like work for free on a campaign i mean i'm sure there's lots of kids who wanted would want to do stuff like that just 
didn't have the opportunity. And so the guy yeah. who I literally interviewed yesterday was working all throughout high school and college. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one thing to see. Yeah, I was curious. I'm sure every kid's curious, but I also had the like opportunity luxury. and the luxury to do it. I mean, it's kind of insane when I think about like, what the fuck was I doing every summer sitting around like pursuing curiosities? Like that's so <laughs> lame when you like, what a fucking douchey thing to be able to do, right? But um, I feel very lucky and grateful um, that, you know, my parents sort of, you know, uh, they were tough on us with school, but also encouraged us a ton to just do stuff. Did you work for the campaign for just one summer? That particular campaign, but I I did that over and over over the years um, in college, so, so after college. Now, now talk about this. You did the governor campaign first. And did you, what was the next campaign you worked on? So I think uh, halfway through college, one summer I worked on uh, my local congressman's uh, re-election campaign. Okay, so you did congressman. Um, and what in what capacity were you working? These were are you? just more like voluntary kind of uh, phone banking, um, helping to you know do events, like really low level stuff. I what they weren't like formal jobs ever until like after college is probably the first like you know formalized thing I did. But like so, uh, before, I mean, before or after we, law school even. Before we even get there, I want to know what did you study in college? So. Uh, I, I was an electrical engineering student at, at Michigan. Michigan. Go blue. Um, uh, so I had this like tension, right? Like on the one hand, you know, I was like a Midwestern kid. My dad's an engineer. You know, it's just like it's hard to like sort of describe to folks who grew up on the on the coast. Like even in Michigan, even with all the like like I've said the luxuries and you know privileges of a great middle class life just scope wise they had no idea like it didn't even really occur to me i could like live outside michigan or so i'm just like all right i'm gonna be an engineer hold on a second so i was studying electrical engineering yeah. at michigan um and largely because like you know it just seemed like a good thing to do my dad's an engineer i didn't really like what i didn't have any other ideas of things to study yeah um and so I think I always had this like tension between trying to do something quite practical, like be an engineer yep. uh, versus, you know, I guess I had all these interests in social justice and right. politics and all these other things. And so I think did you actually get your watch out for the poop. Yeah. Yeah. Did I, you actually I, get yeah. Your, um, your engineering degree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you went at least undergraduate. And then, and then, but you're a lawyer. So how did, so, like, how did you get into law school? Like how did that So happen? basically my third summer of college, I worked uh, as an intern at General Motors, um, like, you know, 10 miles from where I grew up. Um, and it was cool and all, I got to work on the Corvette. Uh, you know, it was great. Um, but I kind of just was like, is this what I'm gonna be you know what I'm gonna do right now, and I just felt like there was more out there to explore. So you, uh, you, something inside your gut said, "I probably can't do this for the rest." of We're good. Uh, yeah, you know. Well, I'll say a couple. So, yeah, something in your gut probably said, "I can't." I, At that time, right? I, I don't see myself doing this for the rest of my. And life. I will say, this is also probably a reflection of how probably immature I was, or not thoughtful. But like, you know. I think at that time, so this is like late 90s now, right? So at that time, you know, at least on the West Coast, the internet stuff is all blowing up. Right. And I bet you if you were an engineering student 
at any college, in at least on the West Coast, you're talking about all these like amazing Wait, things. Wait, how old are you? So I'm 43. Okay, so you're you're five years older than me. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, so I, I was in the dot com boom too, but it was slightly slightly different. Yeah, so I'm college 98, right? So right when it's all going down, but in the Midwest, it wasn't like the top. I mean, I'm sure maybe un, under more aware, smarter, kind of mature folks, but like for me, I did not make the connection at that time to uh, that you can do the, the technology and uh, ideas about social justice and the world are not um, uh, exclu mutually exclusive. Yeah. Um, you know, now I get, you know, I get the engineering magazine every month from Michigan and like, you know, kids are going to like Africa or India and, you know, helping do projects in villages and they're engineering students, right? Or whatever. I mean, that's like, you know, just an example. But uh, if someone had made that connection for me or if I was, you know, just aware enough to do that, uh, I think maybe I would have stuck with it, but I didn't see that. And then I was looking around and it just felt like everyone who I had read about or who comes to campus, who's doing exciting things in the world, they're all lawyers. And so I was like, I'm just gonna like take the LSAT and uh, go to law school. So now, did, did, did you have to work to, to pay for law school? Or was that, did your parents take care of that? So uh, I um, uh, took out loans uh, to go to law school. Got it. My parents took care of college. Um, uh, and they probably were not in favor of you going to law school. Well, it was, so they're never not supportive, but it was like such a foreign concept to them, you right. know. And they were like, engineer. Because yeah, that's a, my dad's the same way. Okay, it was like, yeah. you, I, I'm the, I, you know, we have a we have a real parallel there because I think I would have made a great lawyer, right? <laughs> you would have made a great lawyer, yeah. But um, it just was foreign. It was foreign to my father to like say be a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, so you know, I at that it. time, at that time, um, Indian kids coming from like kind of a middle class sort of, you know, thing like doctors or engineers, that's really was the scope. Yeah. Finance maybe was kind of a thing, obviously. Um, uh, I think, you know, there were lawyers who were Indian, I'm sure, but like, we didn't know any, like we had no family friends. There was no one like point to that, oh, you could do this. Right. Maybe one or two people. So, you know, it was like a unique concept for them. And, um, you know, at that time it was like crazy job market. The economy was booming. Right, the dot com thing was. Yeah, it was like kind of insane, which had crazy repercussions in law school as well. But like, because salaries just started going up because and it just makes you jealous. Like, why am I? Why am I locked in this classroom when all these people are making all this money? Well, you know, I was still I was totally oblivious to all that because I went straight through. I stayed at Michigan for law school, so like, kind of like didn't really. You know, I was just wasn't into it. I was into this whole other thing. Yeah. Um. So, but. You know, that's, uh, so I got back to college my senior year and was just like, I'm gonna take the LSAT, apply to law school. I was lucky enough to get in and I just like, the next year I'm like in law school. Like, you know, it's sort of was like this, you know, didn't even take time off. Like, you know, backpack Europe during the summer, like everyone does after college. Who has money. Yeah, exactly. Again, all, these are all, uh, underlying all this is, 
you know, being lucky in life and my parents just giving every opportunity in the world and just like, like who gets to sit around just like, oh, I guess I'll just not be an engineer. I'll just go to law school. Like on a whim, you know, so like, like ridiculous when yeah, you but, think about but, these but, things. But, but, but I think you, I think you're right in that your gut was telling you, um, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be an engineer. If your gut wasn't telling you that, then you probably wouldn't have thought it was good. No, idea. I think I had to do it. Like I had to like explore, you know, you just. Um, and now you have no regrets. No, no, I don't feel uh, it, it like, not that I feel like, oh, I figured it out. I'm doing like, I will say I'm uh, having a lot of fun uh, doing what I'm doing right now. But um, it does feel like it's just like that stuff never goes away where you're just like always trying to figure out, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I achieving enough? Sure, blah, blah, blah. sure. So, um, you know, law school's two years? Three. Three years. Now, did you do it? What I want to know, you, did you work on more campaigns while you were in law school? Uh, I did not. Um, I, the next time I worked, like, so in 2004, so I finished law school in 01. Yeah, yeah, just stay there. Yeah, um, I finished law school in 01, um, uh, came to New York um, to, you know, work at one of the big law firms like everyone does after law school. Also, you know, I mean, it was a great experience, to be honest, but Again, like I went to law school because I had all these like social justice interests, but then, you know, just kind of like did the normal thing instead of going straight into that kind of work. Um, uh, partly because I just wanted to experience all the different things there were to experience. Like and, such as? It just like, you know, working at a, a law firm, kind of being a litigator at a, you know, big place. I worked at this place, Simpson Thatcher here. Wait, wait, you're, you're, you're going way too fast for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought we were still. I thought we we're still in law school. Okay, we're in law school. So, you, did you do internships in law school? Yes. Got so it. the first summer I was in D Washington D.C. Uh, with a private firm, public. No, I I worked at uh, the DOJ Civil Rights Division, and um, uh, the, I split between that and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, um, National Association for the Advancement of Colored Peoples. Correct. So, like for me, you know, that's so that's the original legendary lawyers like Thurgood Marshall and that crew, right? Um, uh, Where you put that, like that crew, that is the legendary Roots crew. And yeah, it, I mean, th those are like the, anyone, like, anyone who's ever wanted to do like civil rights stuff, which is, I would say a lot of people. Yeah. Um, uh, like those are the original, you know, there's a book about them called Crusaders in the Court. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. I mean, they they changed the world, um, you know, along with all the movement and organizing and advocacy that was being done at that time. But they really, you know, so if you're a lawyer and you're interested in that stuff, I mean, that's like epic to be able to have a chance to work uh, at the end of Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was year one, Washington. Well, uh, year two, uh, summer summer internships, uh, year two of law school. Uh, where I ended up working after Simpson Thatcher. Uh, uh, so you interned right here in the city. Yeah. Now, yeah. Simpson Thatcher, are you working on like just straight money, corporate uh, litigation? Like what kind of stuff were you doing there? Yeah, just uh, corporate litigation. Um, uh, although I will say like, well, we can get to what it was like after law school. But they're very supportive of pro bono work. Yeah. Um, so even though they're a hardcore, yeah. strictly business, you know, yeah. th 30 lawyers on one corporation versus 30 lawyers at the other corporation <laughs> trying to bury each other in paperwork. That's basically you know, what it is. Yeah. Typical, tac yeah. you know, pre-AI law tactics. Um, 
uh, even though you, you know you're, you're you're making big money here, or they're making big money, um, there was a real, there was still some kind of pro bono aspect, which they didn't have to do at all. They could have just made their money, loved their money, and and had nothing to do with pro yeah, bono. Yeah, I mean, like, I would say it's not atypical, but they were like, I never, I never got told no working on something. You could add it to your billable hours as if it was any other thing you're working on which they didn't have to do they could have just said yeah. like, i mean it hey, doesn't hey, make any you're, difference you're not making us any money uh you know well, so it, it doesn't make any difference but like you know there's like everyone's thinking about like what hours you have for the year all that i mean not that much but like it doesn't there's no bottom line to those hours but like yeah i mean it, it never felt um uh as long as you were doing other stuff now i don't think you can like I mean, I have no idea, but I would have never said no to the corporate stuff. Like, I I mean, that was my rule, like never say no. You just do what uh, needs to be done. But um, so I think if, but I was that guy sort of like, you know, I would say 20% of my time was probably like uh, doing, you know, pro bono stuff, yeah. but that's 20% of like working, you know, a lot of hours. Um, and honestly, so it's an were, awesome way to working, learn. You were um, working 168 hours a week. No, 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 no it wasn't that crazy. <laughs> Lawyers love to exaggerate how much they work. It wasn't, it was, you know, I was like a young single guy. I probably worked till like nine o'clock every day, like, sure. you know, half the weekend or something. And then sometimes it's crazy and you're working all the time, but it, it wasn't like as bad as some might make it sound. Now, how long did you actually work at the firm? So that was uh, I, three years. Um, and that's because I was like, I, got to go do the things I'm interested in doing. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, I wasn't really, I was very grateful for that opportunity. I learned a ton, um, but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't like the most serious, like, I would not call myself a rising star at Simpson Thatcher. Let's put it that way. So, so, okay. I'm sure I was fine, but like, that was not what I was wanting to do in the world. So, so what did I, you want to do? So I wanted to work on civil rights stuff, right? So um, I... Um, uh, went to work at the Asian American Legal Defense Fund. Okay, um, and the Asian American Legal Defense Fund. So it's modeled after the NAACPLDF. And so it's a civil rights organization that's focused on uh, the Asian American community. Yeah. Um, and so there I was uh, litigating um, uh, immigrants' rights cases, workers' rights cases. I had a, a fellowship from the Open Society Institute to sort of go work there. Yeah. Um, and that was like kind of, you know, uh, I'm like doing all this stuff I started thinking about way back in college and you know, if again, if you're like South Asian, Asian American, like you look at all deaf when you're young. As so this talk, talk place. about what you feel was the single most challenging and important um, thing that you did at the Asian Legal Defense Fund. So I worked on a range of cases. I will say, like, just in general, civil rights work and the people who continue to do that, um, uh, I have a lot of respect for. Just It's like you're always in an uphill battle. I'll say, I'll just, I mean, this is, you can't avoid yeah, so the maybe, politics of yeah. anything. If you're doing civil rights stuff, I mean, it's inherently political. Exactly. Um, so I'll just give a flavor of the kind of, like, you know, uh, there's, you know, tens of thousands of workers here in the city and around the, you know, in cities across the country that, like, you know, maybe more than tens of thousands, just, you know, they're in um, really low paying jobs. Um, they're not getting paid uh, minimum wage. They're not getting paid overtime. They're working like 
really difficult work like restaurant work and uh, construction, all these kind of things. So um, a lot of my cases were just representing groups of workers like that and um, going after their employers for the money that was owed to them. So how long were you at the Asian Legal Defense? Uh, five years. Wow. So did you become their chief counselor? <laughs> no, chief? no, I was just a lawyer there. Uh, but still, still, it's a you know small organization. There's not like you just do your work. So five years there, and then what happens? So I ended up wanting to like go beyond. I loved being a lawyer, but I just started feeling that um, filing lawsuits was going to be end up limiting, and you know, so like, there's that entrepreneurial spirit right there, which is like, you know, I could you could do this for the rest <laughs> of your life, have a comfortable life. It would. It would be stable and comfortable, but he, you, here you are not being satisfied. Well, yeah, you know, I just kind of wanted to work on the same stuff, maybe a little bit at bigger scale. I ended up going to a kind of like more entrepreneurial anti-poverty organization. Um, and then that led me uh, into my opportunity in the Obama administration in 2013. Now, what, what, what did you start? How did you, did somebody approach you? No, I just was like so excited about Barack Obama, you know, and like so many people and just was like, I want to be involved with that. I want to contribute. I want to be a part of it. And I just, you know, just uh, started connecting with people and talking to people and through, you know, just supportive like friends, colleagues, classmates, whoever just eventually you just get the right intros and they so become meeting. You made that happen. And what, what job did you take? So um, I at first was a political appointee at the Department of Education, um, working on higher education uh, policy, uh, workforce training, that sort of thing. Uh, so that was, I worked on that for two years. One of the main things I worked on was um, uh, bringing accountability to for-profit colleges um, that are sort of really preying on um, low-income people and people of color uh, with very low-quality sort of education, but very high cost and debt. Uh-huh. Uh, so there was a big uh, policy effort to sort of say, you know, uh, colleges like this are going to be held accountable for their outcomes of students. Otherwise, you can't get um, federal government money, right? So 90% of their revenue comes from, like, Pell Grant, student loans, all money that originates from the federal government. And so that's how these places make money. And so we kind of said, well, if you're, you know, if you're not delivering results for students, then, and you consistently fail to do that, then you cannot have access to this money. So, um, and this is a hard question, but was it successful? Uh, it was, so, it happened. We put regulations in place. Um, it started to bring about change and um, kind of shut down really, really bad programs. It's had some impact, but um, it's been uh, sort of uh, uh, hasn't had a chance to play out. Okay. Um, so was that all you did? And I don't mean to uh, belittle uh, the work you did um, for for the country, but were the, the, what I'm really trying to ask is, were there other things you did at the administration, or was that did you only work on that? No, I did, worked on a bunch of other um, higher ed workforce training policy, and then um, for the last two years of administration, I I was in the White House um, as a policy advisor, working on a range of things um, in the vice president's office. Uh, 
and there I worked on a broader set of things, including higher ed and workforce training, but also labor, the economy, competition in the economy, a, b a bunch of policy areas. Interesting. So... And something I'm very grateful and lucky to have been a part of. Okay, so so 2016 uh, election happens, you're, you no longer have a job. Um, yeah, I mean, I was... So those kind of jobs, it was ending anyways in 2017, January. Yeah. Um, you, in a political job, you're there as long as the... Uh, Boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess the, the technical phrase is uh, you serve at the pleasure of the president. So um, uh, that was ending no matter what. My wife was here the whole time in New York. So I was coming back every weekend. So I was never going to uh, stick around anyways. But um, it was you know, a gutting uh, sort of way to go out, I right. will say. Um, so here you are, unemployed. Um, and what'd you do? Well, I was cashed, so I took the, my daughter was born in February 2017. So um, I took about a year off just to like- Parental leave. I just, just to like, uh, rest and spend time with uh, you know who gets a chance to like have a break when your kid's born Alexis Ohanian <laughs> um, yeah so if you're not as uh, big time as Alexis Ohanian you know most people don't get that chance uh, well he's a big he's a big advocate of paternity leave. yeah well my wife's a, a cool person and very supportive and sort of um, was lucky enough to take some time off and really sort of you know clear my head and also just like had this awesome experience spending a lot of time with my daughter you know um, okay, so you, so you sort of decompressed, yeah. right? Because you've been on a kind of roller coaster, um, you know, ever increasing responsibility, an extremely global and high impact, you know, position. Um, I think decompression is, is actually great. Yeah. You had, you had a, a kid to take care of. I, I should add, though, you know, I don't want to overstate. I mean, there's tons of policy people in the administration. It's not like I was some, you know big time person, but we all had our role and responsibilities and we're tr there to try to make stuff happen. And I think I was a part of it, but I don't want to like make it seem like, you know, I'm some. <laughs> uh, Mucky muck. But I'm very, uh, 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 it was awesome. It was like the best thing I've ever been a part of. I love it. And thank you. <laughs> so, so I was leading up to, um, uh, you, you're, you're here taking care of your daughter for a year and um, you know, what was the next move after that? Well, I just started thinking about what do I want to do next? And, um, you know, nothing was going to be as exciting as being able to go into the White House every day. Um, but I kind of wanted, you know, something to be kind of pumped about and excited about. And when I was in the administration, you know, because I worked on higher ed and workforce training, obviously one of the things we're spending a lot of time thinking about, which a lot of people are, which is like, there's just, tens of millions of people in the country that just need better opportunities in their career um, to advance, right? Um, and uh, there were, you know, it's a real problem in the country. Well, well, here's the thing. You've got automation, automation's taking jobs. You have globalization taking jobs. So there's this middle class in this country, you know, that for 50, 60, 70 years, just oh, just didn't have to worry about about that um and now now there's just these fundamental forces you know there just isn't the same amount of work here that there that there used to be you know for the same percentage of the population 
So I'll say, you know, um, I think some of what you said, I agree with. I will say, I think the automation uh, thing, I think is overstated. I don't think, um, you know, we have a, it's a choice um, how we're gonna treat people and workers, right? It's a policy choice. It's how much we value what people do and what opportunities we give them. Um, I think the globalization and trade piece is real and has had significant impacts. Um, but, you know, uh, automation isn't the reason we choose to have a minimum wage at $7, right? I mean, so with, there's things we can do and choices we can make about what uh, work is worth and what value people have and what chance we're going to if we're going to create an economy that requires all these different you know skills and credentials and all this then we should give people an opportunity to get those things um, it's not fair to create a whole structure and then sort of say all right but now you're on your own so the folks that are lucky like me can sort of thrive and the others can't that's not these are choices these are policy choices uh, there's no like force out of our control that's keeping people struggling uh, in the like wealthiest uh, uh, country that's ever been known to man, right? So, um, it's a very, it's a very profound, profound answer. Um, but I'm just trying to sort of establish that yes, uh, that there are these forces at play. Um, and there's a lot of people that don't have great jobs. Um, people are getting left out, and I 100% agree with that. But but I I don't believe that. Uh, like I just think that the free market that and that like innovator innovators, well. you know, can create um, these opportunities. And um, and, and again, I don't absolutely. Really, I don't want to get into a whole debate of, agree. Of, of free market versus government. No, no, I, we like don't have I'm, to have that argument to talk about that. I agree um, that uh, that we live in uh, uh, a capitalist approach, and there's always going to be a chance to create. Right? Um, I think whether everyone everyone has that chance, different question. But yes, correct, of course. Um, so what, watch out for that. So um, we sort of understand your mental framework, right? But but so you're unemployed, and I want to know, like, <laughs> w you know, what was the first thing you did? Like, you know, why aren't you, you know why aren't you working in a law firm? Why are you starting a company? And what what, what does this company do? And talk about the, the formation of Great right. Team Five. So and, you know, it's okay if you like did something else because I want to know the story in a concise manner. Yeah, you know, I I started just. You know, go, trying to just, you know, I'd always been brainstorming ideas, started thinking about, and one thing that always stayed with me from my experience, you know, um, tech by itself um, uh, can't solve a problem, but tech can play an important role. And with a problem like this that's on the order of tens of millions or more, um, tech will have to play a role, right? Because we need solutions at scale. And so, um, you know, in that job, like everyone wants to come and show you their awesome training thing and this, that, and the other. And, you know, very cool stuff going on in the world. People are trying very cool things, as you said, creators and all. But like, I didn't see things that felt like they were gonna make like big impacts, you know, like double, triple, quadruple success for people. Um, meanwhile, the military had spent a lot of time um, 
uh, investing in research and technology for stuff that could help train and evaluate uh, military personnel for the roles that they have to play, right? Yeah. And uh, that, you know, arena is very interesting because, uh, you know, proficiency matters so much in that world. I mean, yeah. what do I know? Like, I'm far from someone who's uh, uh, qualified to talk about the military, but I will say, I mean, you know, you and I, we go to school, you get an A or a C, it doesn't matter, you get on with it, right? But that world, you can't have a lot of C people because it can put people in harm's way. Uh -huh. um, so that's one. Two, people are sort of coming at a very young age without maybe a ton of, a, a, a lot of people are coming in without sort of a ton of um, background um, and skill set. And every job that exists in the real world exists in the military, right? Um, it's not just uh, soldiers or whatever. So they've, they have these important uh, training objectives and they spend a lot of time uh, on technology and I was seeing research papers show sort of showing like insane results, right? Like you've never opened a computer before in your life and now you're like an expert IT person like six months later or whatever. So that's not to say we're gonna recreate those kinds of results in the real world. I think people in the military have special attributes either by virtue of the whoever decides to sign up there or the things you gain there where um, uh, it lends themselves to success in things like learning and training and all, where, you know, I think we're not lucky enough to have that kind of stuff as what? equally distributed in the real world. But I did see technology that was going to have, like, potential for, like, big impacts. So I was very curious. Okay. So, so you, 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 you got the kernel <coughs> of this idea. You saw that... Um, it is possible under under certain circumstances for extremely rapid skilling up uh, of people with zero skills. So that's sort of you know this this maybe thesis. Um, so did you just go ahead and write some code like? <laughs> uh, I wish. Um, so I started investigating, started reaching out to people who I was aware that were sort of experts in academia and elsewhere and policy in this and eventually someone's like well you know there's this professor at university of michigan who um does a lot of research and has done a lot of work on these kinds of things and no, no but, but when you say these kind of things are we talking strictly security no no this is uh uh you know technologies ai technologies that are applied to the context of uh, assessment and training um and Apparently in the 90s, um, while I was in college there studying electrical engineering, um, some electrical engineering professor had spun out a company that strictly works on this kind of research with the military. Um, and so I reached out and um, connected and was able to be like, you know, one of these entrepreneur in residence, fake title kind of things. And I, well, there's a lot, yeah, that's an interesting, it's such an interesting word. Um, I mean, it was kind of a joke to have a term entrepreneur in my title, um, given that, like, I'm just this, like, policy lawyer guy. Yeah, but here... here it was a chance to learn, though. I know, but, but yeah, but here you are. You don't have a job. You're working on your own dime, so that's... Uh, no, I mean, they... they For that, that would, that would, they paid for... That was not a free gig. Um, but, you know, there was... See, there's, there's the fungible aspect of... Uh, EIR, which is yeah, no, sometimes it was, it's paid, sometimes it's not paid. It, yeah, no, they were like it was a it was a good thing, and it was a chance for me to learn about 
the things that they were doing um, and to explore ideas of what could I do with that those kinds of technologies. So what, what ideas did you explore and what, what uh, res conclusions did you come to? So, um, you know, I started investigating, well, what applications could uh, uh, in the real world, and this is not like novel area of thinking, right? There's lots of people working on this, but what could we do in the real world if I had the ability to like either build this kind of tech or license it or whatever, right? Uh, started investigating different ideas that, you know, community colleges, um, uh, could people access these technologies directly and learn on their own? And really I arrived at um, uh, the thought that I think um, the best chance for success for me was gonna be um, uh, products built for companies, sort of B2B facing. Um, so uh, uh, that's one. Uh, two, so I started investigating like just what is it like to hire, train, onboard, um, all of that. Um, and started investing in the cybersecurity space um, just as sort of, you know, the space is growing, um, it's high demand, um, there's opportunities there. Uh, and every like sort of chief security officer interviewed, I mean, they, you know, no, no, I, we were in New York. Um, so, uh, you know, I was working like, I guess with a company in Michigan as the EIR, but I was based here. Okay. Uh, and I would touch base with them from time to time. And so you would call these cybersecurity chiefs? And yeah, somehow, just show up to events, talk to them, whatever, right? Somehow you gravitated towards towards cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, and, and so what's the biggest problem that cybersecurity chiefs have? And and by the way, let's let's be a little more specific. We're talking both in government and out of and in the private sector. Correct. Um, well, I think they have a whole set of problems, which I think everyone who follows, you know, what's going on in the world knows. But in terms of people and talent, you know, I think the biggest thing is you know, uh, finding the people that they need. Now, I will uh, caveat that a little bit, like these, you know, talent shortage kind of things. I mean, look, I mean, if we like increase the pay by like 30%, I think we might close that that talent gap real quick. But now, now what's your theory? Like where would these people where are these people who, if you increase the pay, like where are they now and, and where would they come from? Well, you know, I don't think it would happen overnight depending on the, uh, 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 depending on the field. But in general, I mean, you know, everyone's, uh, I, my number one problem is talent and I can't find people. Well, I think in a lot of cases, I'm not, I don't know that necessarily applies to cybersecurity, but because I think that uh, wages are, uh, fairly high in that space, but I think in a lot of spaces, I mean, it's not that you can't find the talent, it's you can't find the talent for what you wanna pay, right? So that's a different question. But anyways, and like, this is totally not a good thing for a startup that's B2B facing to say, so maybe, <laughs> but anyways. I, I, that, well, that I will listen to this in my edit, so. Um, so I will, I will say though that, um, you know, clearly every chief security officer, it's hard to find people, um, uh, it takes a long time to hire. You have to spend a lot of time on it. A lot of money goes into it. It's hard to figure out like who's good and who's not. If you get it wrong, there's a lot of costs. So, like, cy so cybersecurity. Diversity chief is a massive problem. I mean, it's like all dudes that look like me or you, right? So cy cybersecurity chiefs are, these are the things that they're always complaining about that make their life difficult. Yeah, and I think they're legitimate um, uh, issues they're facing. So, you know, they're, these problems are not mind blowing. I think anyone could guess at these. Um, but the one consistent thing was 
um, I want to find good people and I'll, it's just uh, draining on resources, the amount of time we spend on that. So what did you do about it? So, you know, I sort of felt that um, that was, a, a, you know, among the many, you know, and then there was like, well, I've got to keep people trained and upskilled and all that. But I felt that that consistent pain point at the hiring, the hiring phase um, was something I could zero in on just because like everybody to a T talked about it. Yes. Um, number two, uh, in the way that, you know, uh, thinking about sort of talent and thanks, skills. Thanks for the poop push. Yeah. It, it's a New York skill, right? It's a New York skill. Um, so, you know, in the sequence of how we could think about talent from the perspective of people, right, is what do I need? I need to know like what it takes to be great at the thing I want to, I'm interested in, right? Um, I need to know, like, do the skills I have lend themselves to that thing? Um, what are my gaps? Uh, where can I go to get, fill those gaps, right? The, like there's a sequence of things. So the start of the sequence sort of speaks to the idea of like assessment, right? Like I need to know what it is that makes someone great at something. So in this case, a cybersecurity job, right? And then um, uh, how can I like compare myself to that standard? And that's kind of also what employers need to do when they're hiring, right? They need to know like, well, here's what I'm looking for. How does this candidate um, compare to that? Um, and so that's why uh, I felt that that was a, a reasonable starting point um, and spoke to a, a real problem. And so what we've done is, so we, you know, uh, in general for us, like the thing we're interested in as a starting point is like, um, you know, uh, we think that the way to find the most talented people is to look at what they can do and how they think yes. rather than just what their resumes say. Exactly. Um, and so we've built a hands-on sort of simulation-based assessment for cybersecurity hiring so that the hiring process at companies can be driven by those things that matter rather than resumes. Because if you have a, a, a technology that can sort of automate that evaluation, um, we can do that at the beginning of okay, the process. Okay, so let's, let's give this a real story. Yeah. I'm a candidate. Yeah. Okay, I go to goteam5.com. What do I see? So you don't, as a job candidate, you don't really go to go team five, right? Let's say you apply for a job to company A, Watch right? Watch out with the mic. Oh, sorry. Um, you you uh, apply to a job to whatever company, however you connect with them, right? Once you put in your application, you get a link that takes you to our. Got it. So, um, a, com so a company a, a company is really going to want to um, put Go Team Five into place uh, to to get a better evaluation of correct. the candidate. So Think of like for software jobs, like a coding test, something like that. Not the same thing, but you know, you you apply for a job here. Do this. Let me see what you're all about. Um, and what is it? Uh, before I even ask that question, I just want to get a, a real walkthrough. So yep. we, estab we establish that. So then I, as a applicant, what do I see in this test? Okay. So you, so step one, you know, you get a link, you click it, you're immediately in um, working on a virtual uh, computer. Yeah. Um, no, 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 this is really interesting to me because this is your secret sauce. Um, so so is it like a hundred percent real environment? Yeah. So our our so our product 
one of our core product principles is that it should be as close to real life um, as possible, right? Um, so in so, real life, there's not multiple choice questions. Um, it's not a game where there's dead ends. Um, they're just like, here's your work, go sort it out. And right, so, so you literally get a real computer yeah. to like go into yes. and evaluate security issues and vulnerabilities. Correct. So, you know, for example, if your SSL certificate uh, it has has a little red uh, warning sign on on your browser. That's a potential security issue. Like these are the, these are just some of the, mm -hmm. some of the scenarios that, yeah. that are that are real. Like it's not it's not just like a a, a fake pre written sandbox. There, there's there's <laughs> more flexibility in your system than because um, it's real. That's correct. So, for example, let's say you're applying for a job as a security analyst, or some people call it incident response, right? You're a part of a team, you have to make sure your network is protected, and when there's a breach, you have to respond to it. So, this person who's in the virtual computer, it's they're asked to, all right, inspect these machines, these computers on this network, and see if there's any vulnerabilities. That is exactly the kind of thing you would do uh, in the workplace, and you're looking for if there's malware or you know other issues. Um, and so, yes, the idea is like let's give you realistic scenarios and work on it, and then we look at what you did and. Um, uh, uh, write up an evaluation report for a customer. And the idea is that that is a, a, a body of information that they can use now to make a decision. So you, all these people applied for the job, instead of just looking at your resume, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not sure what the resume tells me, but like this person did this on this kind of exercise, that tells me something. Exactly. Um, and I think that that's, you know, if we're gonna, to find the best talent, we need to look at what matters. And everybody who spent time in the real world knows that like, you know, what college you graduated from, who you know, even what previous jobs you had are not good, reliable indicators of talent. Um, so let's just look at, let's just go to the tape. Let's look at what really matters. Yes. I love the, I love the CNN, I love the ESPN's, you know, Sports Center uh, <laughs> plate callback, right? Let's go look at the tape. Yeah. Um, that's what we need is, is sports center, but for cybersecurity. We, yeah, I guess that's, well, you know, sports is a, is a good analogy, right? Because in the end, it just matters um, how you perform between the lines. Uh, it well, doesn't it also matter. matter. It does matter if you're a team player too, as opposed to just being a diva. So that, as a, you don't want a diva. 100%, right? So this is very important. Ultimately, anyone, again, anyone who's lived in the real world, those things are probably ultimately more important, right? Like, are you nice? Can you work on a team? Are you a leader? That said. Are you a gamer? That's We're not evaluating those things though, yeah. because one, so like I said, it's a body of information that's an input into your bigger process of decision-making, right? Yes. Companies are trying to create a culture and that ultimately is probably the holistic thing at what matters. One, I don't think we can evaluate those non sort of hard skills for lack of a better term well through technology. And that's not your that's not your thesis, that's not your focus. And so yes, companies should really look at that. But now you can spend more time on that because you know, because team five has uh, taken, you know, a bunch of stuff off your plate on the hard skills side. You have you can spend less time on that and more time on the other things that matter, right? That humans are really good at. Like 
evaluating whether you fit into what I'm looking for. So one, I don't think we can do it through tech. Number two, I don't think we can do it without bias. And that's super important because if we can't recognize our own biases, how could we possibly take it out of the tech, right? So, so we're so not, the world is not ready for that thing yet. Um, it's a research question, not a, uh, it's not something that's ready to be productized and implemented. Next question. Um, what are the, you know, I, I realize you're in the pilot phase, right? Yep. Every, everyone, yeah, we're everyone, early. Everyone knows that this is a startup. Yep. Um, so what, you know, what would be a sort of small step, small, a small dream for Go Team 5, you know, in the next six months, in the next three months? Yep. Um, you know, as far as pilots go, like yeah. what, are, what are you looking for? Uh, our goal is to, um, uh, you know, have companies that are customers that would pilot with us. So that what that looks like is, uh, a limited pilot, pick one job opening, um, and we will uh, use our technology to evaluate um, every candidate that um, applies for that job opening and give you a report. And we will work with you until that job is full filled. Um, and that is we we're looking for partners to do that with. Um, I think our goal probably next six months is to have five to 10 uh, pilot uh, customers um, uh, to work with us. And that would be the first step towards um, ever increasing sort of scale. Um, now, now, why why would a potential pilot go with Team Five? You know, like give me some proven results. Mm -hmm. um, sell, sell us. Well, you know, uh, the point of pilots is to show the value that you know where we, uh, we think we can deliver. But I will say one, um, you know, companies are doing this one way or the other, right? Um, so in the software side, software developer side, you have like HackerRank, Codility. There's not an equivalent tool for cybersecurity hiring. So what are you doing right now as a company? You're either making up your own little like something that's a pain in the ass to create and you have candidates work on it, not, not scalable, not sort of like consistently made, um, or you're using some existing platform and you're doing like asking questions and asking people to write out stuff, right? So instead of that, we're giving you the ability to do the real thing, right? The thing that you want to do is like see what they can actually do. As far as cybersecurity. Uh, cybersecurity. Um, and like I said, um, fundamentally, we th if you want to have the best talent, Companies with the best talent wins. That's not just something we all know in our gut. It's, you know, uh, it plays out in real life, right? If you want to find the best talent, you know, just ask yourself, like, what do you care? Are you a company that cares about pedigree? Or are you a company that cares about performance? I'm sure everyone would say, I care about performance. So then my question is, what are you doing about that? If you're starting with only a resume, I will say that we're offering something better to start with, which is the ability to look at performance. Yes. So, so there, there's these cybersecurity skills out there. There is a, a, a pool, a massive pool of talent that's just under, recognized and um, and, and furthermore I go team five maybe makes the process more efficient um, and, and just just like you said so, so that 
you could spend less time hiring and more time making your company mm -hmm. successful and making your company the way your company wants right. to be. Right, and you know, it, you just asked like in terms of, well, why this, right? Uh, it's because the thing that, hiring is hard. Uh, we all know that, right? The thing that makes hiring hard is all of the things that matter for talent are sort of like unobservable, right? You ultimately, you care about how someone thinks, right? That's not easy to figure out. That's why we like use resumes and all that. They're just like shortcuts that are not very good. Yeah. But it's because at some point in your process, you have your actual engineers talk to the candidate. What are you doing? You're trying to figure out how that candidate thinks, right? You don't have time to ask them 5,000 questions about all the things that can come up in reality. So you ask them three questions and then you make some kind of like judgment yes. about how they think because your experts, your best engineers are equipped to make that kind of judgment, right? But it happens way too late in the process. You've already like your filtering process early on has overrated people and underrated people because you've only looked at resumes, right? Yes. Um, so instead of it doing at this point, we're offering the ability to flip that and do it at the beginning. So now your candidate pool are people who can actually do the things you want them to do. And through our evaluation, you have some sense of how they're thinking about um, this work. And now you can like implement the rest of your process, start talking about all the other things that matter. Like you said, communication, teamwork, leadership, are you a gamer, all this stuff, attitude, right? And then, before you decide who's coming for a callback, where you spend a lot of time with people, we can do something more involved as an exercise. So now you're only spending time with the people that you think are up to the task. So um, unless you think I missed something. That's all of it. Unless you think I missed something, I have a final question yes. for you. Yes. Do, you. do you feel like I missed something? No, no, no. Super no. important no. to go team five? No. Okay. You have not. <laughs> okay. That's your final question? No. Oh, okay. That would be hard. No, you are a very thorough interviewer. That would, well, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to, you know. Just, Isaac Chotner, that's the best interviewer I see out there in the world. I'd you're love you're to as just, good as him. I'd love to just have, you know, three hours of, of, of people's time <laughs> to just, you know, um, Larry King you. Yeah, but, I, I concede I'm sort of blah, blah, blah. So I apologize for that. Well, that's part of the practice of becoming a CEO is, well, is, is, is really, you you only recognizing that that you only have an elevator pitch. Yeah, I've got um, to learn how to shut the fuck up. I got that. I'm just, being, just, just. It's not shut the fuck. It's just. No, I, it's a problem. It's just no. It's just knowing the right time and the right place. Yeah. Um, and knowing when you need to be in sales mode versus um, other mode. So um, anyway. Uh, the final question of the show is one that I ask every yes. entrepreneur that comes on the show. And I think it's the most important question. Um, I mean, sure, we've talked about your business and we sort of know your general game plan and your, your general you know, thoughts and, and, and that you have a thesis that cybersecurity uh, chiefs have a, have a difficult time hiring and you, you feel you identified a niche in the market that's unfilled and you're, you're taking your stab at it with, with a product that, um, that is pretty cool from a technical perspective. Um, but but, but we, we know that. But I think the most important question on this show is the one that I ask to everybody because it's, it's a different question than I've really asked up until this point, which is Tushar, mm -hmm. how do you think 
you have grown as an entrepreneur? Oh, I mean, so, you know, with a kind of law, policy, government, that kind of background, I mean, uh, this everything is new. Every step is like a whole set of learning and then try stuff, fail, learn more. So learning like a whole new set of things, um, like knowledge, skills, whatever. So that's one. Number two, super humbling. Definitely the hardest thing I've ever like worked on. Um, and again, we're at the beginning, so we haven't figured anything out, right? Um, that's number two. Uh, number three, I think, um, you know, there's this like really real aspect to it because we're right at, we're at this like first step of like, all right, pilots, the first time we have to see is someone willing to pay for this. Um, and I've like never really had to work on something that real. Yes. Right. M most other jobs, it's like, all right, you get an assignment. You. There already are clients. Yeah, like, you know, but it's like either you're going to do a good job on that assignment or not. That's up to you. But you kind of like know what you have to do. And there's not this like the success is like getting it done and giving it to somebody. Whereas here it's like this whole next level of like what it means to get it done is that someone else has to like take action based on what you've done. So it's um, that is a whole, uh, you know, I mean, uh level of responsibility that you've well, maybe never had not just but just like challenge um i guess uh to people like to use the term skin in the game so um it's you know unique it's a unique experience for some of my background to have that and a lot of it's like either i'm gonna uh you know step up and sort it out um or i won't but yep. um uh there will be no no reason uh uh, the if we fail it'll be because I didn't figure it out you yep. know so that's I mean that is like a whole new feeling indeed um, I will say when people talk about the pain I sort of now am uh, uh, you know can feel that a little bit in my gut well I think people um, glamorize entrepreneurship and, and definitely <clears throat> I am part of the, that problem right by having this show <laughs> right I am sort of glamorizing, but I'm also trying to say that people that are entrepreneurs, like you are not playing it safe. Um, it, it Just cause there's a million other entrepreneurs out there doesn't mean you or I like will be successful. This show could go end the next tomorrow and I might just have to get some job and not be have the freedom to be able to do this show anymore. Totally correct. I will say, you know, a little bit of perspective. I mean, my wife's a doctor, so I have a little bit of uh, ability to take some chances. Um, and I think most entrepreneurs, you know, what you really got to respect is that people are just like, this is it. This is successful failure overall. Now, I do feel that because I mean, there's, I mean, failure would still be failure here, but so a little bit of perspective for me, it would be silly for me not to sort of concede that. But yes, I think that, um, uh, but you know, there's another side. To, I mean, it is like, fine, nothing's gonna be as fun as like working in the White House, but it's, I mean, it's fun. It's a rush. Um, it is like this challenge and trying to sort things out. Uh, um, it's definitely fun, but not fun in the like like you said the glamorous thing nothing glamorous like 
we are a broke startup trying to get to a different place, you know? So, um, well, I think that's a great position to be in because you're lean, mean, and hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on that.